The reading this morning is uh, Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered, gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ian. Um, well, we're almost at the end of that. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to have you here. Good morning, Naomi. Um, uh, just before we get going, I'd just like to say uh, a little notice on uh, CAP. Um, the Debt Management Centre role has been filled. Uh, we have Ian has very kindly interviewed and been accepted for that, so we're excited about him taking over from Nigel in that role. Let's be praying for him and for Nigel and for the whole team uh, as that will surely be a ministry that would be much needed in the years to come. Uh, let's pray for wisdom for them. Uh, and let's also pray now as we come to God's word, uh, those words of life. Lord, I praise you for, uh, for Ian, for this CAP ministry, uh, for Nigel's very great role in that as well. And we pray for wisdom for them as that uh, goes forward, as Ian does training in November. Uh, Lord, pray that you would bless that ministry and that you would bless many people through it, uh, that we would um, be able to envelop them into your kingdom here, that they might know the peace of God that transcends all understanding and freedom uh, from debt and worry. And we pray that we might know something of that this morning as we come to your word. Uh, bless us, Lord, with insight and ears to hear. I pray that whatever, Lord, I say which is not helpful would be forgotten. And, Lord, that your words would be remembered and that we would see you uh, at the end of this. Amen. 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 Well, I, I wonder what uh, would you answer to this? What would the world, what would your experience be if there was no sin? If you had no sin in your life, what would your experience, how different would your life feel? No sin in your life, how different would you experience uh, your life? No uh, mistakes, no embarrassments, no shame, no self-loathing, no secrecy, no denial. 
Isn't that right? I, uh, you may be horrified to learn, but you have actually a shoplifter as a minister. When I was 12, I was at a, um, it was like a little mini toy figure conference thing, and uh, I remember being overcome with temptation for, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but there was a little, a little figure uh, just at this big board, and there was a big crowd around me, and I just slipped it in my back. And I was totally busted. I had a conversation with a policeman and the person behind the counter who then took me to the parents of the person who had invited me as their guest to go, and I had a whole conversation in front of them. I was mortified. I lived with that for about probably three or four years, and I remember the burden of it became suddenly so great that I was in a car with my mum in the passenger seat, and I just suddenly burst into tears. And said, oh, I'm so sorry, but you've got to know, I, I did this thing. I'm so ashamed of it. I've been carrying that all that time, and it just sort of came out of me. And, you know, she's trying to focus on the road, and like, what, what? <laughs> but that, it was the experience of carrying that was just so, it was so unpleasant. It was awful. You read that, about that in the Psalms, how the hand of the Lord is sometimes upon David, and it, it squashes and it crushes. It eats at our very marrow, doesn't it? I don't know what it is for you at the minute. Maybe there was stuff that happened in COVID that you very deeply regret. Maybe you're, you're a teenager here today and you're just getting going on making some of the big mistakes in life. And you will make some big mistakes in life. Maybe there's some uh, aspects. If you think of your life like a house, there are dark rooms that you hope no one will ever go and that you slightly want to just keep out of your kind of vision or imagination. Now, I think the experience can be, even for Christians, a spiritual depression, a malaise, that, that actually separates us from one another as we interact, because we don't want each other to know. We don't, I don't want you to know me fully, because you might go to that dark room that I'm trying to hide. And so there's a separation, isn't there? Has anyone ever encountered that thing where you've done something, you know that was bad, that was awful, and you think, you know, you come to the next time in your sort of life where you think, I'm going to pray, and you think, oh, I can't pray. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, what have I just looked at? What have I just said to that person? I said, I can't really pray. It's like a separation with God as well, isn't there? And we carry it. I think the um, Pilgrim's Progress, the idea of the pilgrim carrying this burden that they're kind of weighed down by, Well, the payoff for this talk is very simple. It's there in verse 10. It's so lovely when the Bible gives you what the passage means, isn't it? Verse 10. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's, that's, that's as simple as that today. I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. That's written here by Mark because the Romans, the kind of second-generation Christians, some of them are experiencing some quite serious persecution and they're wondering, is Jesus really the Son of God? And we've had that in verse chapter 1, verse 1, and they're wondering, does he really forgive sins? Surely there's something else that I need to do. Maybe there's some other ceremony. or, or, or I mean, he's just a bloke from you know, 50 years ago. Maybe some of you are thinking that here today, as, uh, you know, as young people or new Christians, you're thinking, is this really, is he really the guy that can forgive? Is he really the Son of God? 
Well, I want to give you confidence and freedom from the burden of sin by knowing, verse 10, that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to be amazed, like the people at the end of our reading, at, at his authority to forgive sins. I want you to praise God for it. I want you to be open with one another as they are talking about Jesus, and I want you to have faith in the fact that he is the one that forgives our sins. The payoff for this talk is freedom from our failure. Freedom from our failure. Now, this passage is very well known to many of us. I think it features in Christianity Explored. But I want us just to put, just to put that down and look at how Mark presents this to us. Okay, So come with me in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. So he's already been in Capernaum uh, back in 1, 2, 2, chapter 1, verse 22, where he's been teaching. Or, or verse 25 of chapter 1, where he's been casting out demons and, and stopping them. Or he's been healing in chapter 134. And so <clears throat> we come to verse 2. Uh, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. It's no surprise that people gather because he's been healing and they want to see that. But also he's been preaching. We get that again and again, don't we? Uh, chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, he's been telling them, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, so repent and believe the good news. And then again in 125, uh, sorry, in 121, uh, and most of all, 138. Let's go through Galilee, preaching, uh, preaching the synagogues, but that is why I've come, verse 38. He's come here to preach. And so these large numbers have gathered at the door, haven't they? And then what happens? Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Now I cannot begin to imagine how awful it would be to be paralysed now. But can you imagine how awful it would be to be paralysed then? There's no welfare state, there's no carers. You need someone to turn you over each day so you don't get bed sores. You need someone to put food in your mouth, otherwise you die. This is a picture of utter, utter desperation. And these four mates carrying this person, no wonder they want to get to Jesus because they've heard about the whole healing thing, haven't they? And so, verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus, that's where they're going, to him, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Can you, can you imagine the room? Can you imagine the smell of all the hot, sweaty bodies and the heat and the tents as everyone's listening to Jesus and then the dust coming down the roof and then looking up and the light kind of punches through so you kind of, what? There's someone coming down on a mat. Now, what do you think when you look at that? Isn't that just a mad act of vandalism? Look what Jesus thinks when he sees that in the next verse, because he explains what actually is going on. Verse 5, when Jesus saw, what is it? Their faith. What we've got here is not mad vandalism, but a picture of faith. That is people who believe that Jesus can sort this problem, and they believe it so much they're going to rip the roof off to get this guy to him. That's, how, that's their faith. It's a picture of faith pulling the roof off, that's what we've kind of got going on here, isn't it? And then actually, then comes a, a, a couple of shocks. So we've got these guys are made a hole. They've dropped in. It's, we see their faith. 
we see, I think we also see, don't we, that the problem is very big. So you don't, you don't if, you, if you get a splinter in your finger and you think, um, you know, there's someone in that house who might be able to get my splinter out, but I'm not sure, you don't go to the house and pull the roof off to get in, do you? Because it's a small problem and there's a small chance, right? But here is a big problem, but a big solution. And so they pull the roof off to get in. It's a big problem. But then comes the surprise. This problem is big enough to pull the roof off, but what does Jesus say in verse 5? He said to the paralyzed man, he you know, opens his mouth, he inhales, and this is the moment where every single person in the room has got their mobile phone out and they're filming it because they're thinking, this is the moment, we're going to see it, he's going to heal him. He's, this place is going to spring up and I've got it on phone, I'll post it and I'll get loads of likes, right, we're on. And what does Jesus do? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? No, no, no. The problem is that he's paralysed and you can heal people, so we deal with that. What? So now the whole room is turned upside down, isn't it? Because everyone has to re-evaluate what they think the problem is. The problem for Jesus, the Son of God, is actually... Not paralysis, but sin. That is greater than the problem of the paralysis. I think that's quite difficult to take in. Our hostility to God, our failures to love him, our failure to love others, our brokenness and wrongdoing. As we were hearing at Messy Church, which was brilliant on Saturday, shove off, I'm in control, no to your rules, S-I-N. Now you might think there's no such thing as sin. Well, the Son of God says there is. You might think that sin's not that bad. My sin's not that bad. Well, the Son of God says it's worse than being paralysed in 1st century AD Palestine, Judea. And you might also be starting to think, well, maybe he can't forgive my sin because it's too much. But look how readily he forgives here. He just says it. He doesn't ask. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even wait for the man to ask, does he? He just, your sins are forgiven. That's how quick and ready he is to forgive. It's a massive surprise that sin is way more serious than we might think. But the second surprise that we get here is Jesus' claim to forgive sins. Because that is a claim to be someone. Verses 6 and 7. What's the response? Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here's the second surprise. The teachers of the law, guys who know their, uh, their Old Testament backwards and forwards, think that this fellow, see they think he's just a fellow, is claiming to be God. Because only God can forgive sin. Because sin is an offence not just against other people, but against God. So only he can forgive it. So on my way in here, I parked in the car park outside, and unfortunately I ran my car down two panels of someone's car uh, in the car park. I'm really sorry about that. But none of you can forgive me that, can you? The only person who can forgive me that is the owner of the blue, slightly dented door car, right? Now if that person stands up and says, I forgive you, then I'm forgiven because I'm forgiven by the person against whom the offence was done. And just in case you're worried, I walked here today. <laughs> would you get the idea 
You know, I can't, you can't forgive me something that I've done to someone else. It doesn't work, does it? And if, and if you were the person he was offended against, you'd be outraged that someone was trying to do that. So when Jesus says, I forgive your offences against God, he's saying, he's answering the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is, only God. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I think that's a wonderful and amazing truth. An extraordinary one. An absolutely dumbfounding truth. That actually God has turned up and he wants to forgive our sin. The creator of the stars above, of every fish in the sea. One who is unimprovably perfect with all knowledge of your sin and my sin. Even what these guys are thinking in their minds. Greater and more powerful, there is no one or nothing. And he says, here I am to forgive your sin. And so immediately everyone, of course, is thinking, well, that's ridiculous. That is absurd. You're telling me that God's come to earth and that he's appeared. He said sin's the problem and he's going to deal with it. So what does he do? He answers that question in verses 8 to 12. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. See the knowledge of God? And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. Most of whom are a bit cross because they put their phone down at that point and they missed it. What's the point? The point is, I am God. It is easier for me to cure someone of paralysis and their death-like state than it is for me to wake my children up in the morning. Like, I mean, there's nothing like that here, is there? It's not like Jesus, wake up, wake up, come on, wake up, here's a hot chocolate, here's an alarm clock, come on, rugby tackle them out of bed. He just says, get up, take your mat, go home. And it happens. He's just proving that he is God. And what that shows us, doesn't it, is that he has incredible power and authority like no other. Incredible power and authority. And that's one of the reasons why he uses this phrase, son of man. Son of man is a title coming from Daniel 7, which he's using to refer to himself. I want you to just close your eyes and imagine this. In Daniel 7, Daniel's given a vision of these enormous and terrifying beasts that rise out of the sea and are destroying and running amok amongst the earth. And then in his vision, he sees God turn up. And then it says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Creator on the throne, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What's the point of this passage? In what Jesus forgives, in what Jesus can do, in the name he gives himself, it is that he is God with the authority and power to forgive your sins. You may have heard that all religions have different paths to God. That's wrong. But even if you went with that, this is what you might say. Only one religion has God come to us. 
And only one has a way, or more specifically, a person who is sufficiently powerful and has the authority to forgive what separates us from God, what causes the distance. We desperately want to deal with our own sin and mess, don't we? And that's why we like the idea of being a path going up the hill that I can walk. Or maybe you want to ignore your mess by ignoring it, like an ostrich with your head in the sand, but that it only works so long before others stop turning a blind eye too. And Jesus knows it all anyway. He knows what these guys are thinking in their hearts. And eventually judgment catches up with you like a leopard or a tiger or whatever hunts ostrich. Maybe you try and hide it, a secrecy. But that means you can't ever really be known by other people, doesn't it? There are things you've got to hide. You can't be still and know yourself because there's stuff that I haven't dealt with. I have to hide it. You might have a fear of discovery, especially as your sin grows in your life. It leads to deception. But Jesus knows our thoughts, doesn't he, here? There's no hiding from him. Or maybe the other way we want to deal with it is we want to atone for it. We want to do something that makes our sin go away. And almost every single religion that's ever been invented has a way of washing off your sin. Whether it's washing in the Ganges, whether it's doing enough prayers, whether it's doing good works or going to mass. And our culture today, even in its secularism, will tell you, just, you just do some more good things and that means you'll become a good person. And you can just forget about what's happened in the past. But the reality is, even though we want to do that, is we are as powerless and without authority to deal with our own sin as this paralysed man is powerless to make himself walk again. That is how little power we have, because we are dead in our transgressions, is what the Bible tells us. Undoing our sin is like trying to unstir the golden syrup in your porridge. Do you ever do that? You put the golden syrup on and then you stir it. Have you ever tried to unstir it? Of course it doesn't work. It's the same with our sin and our mess. But Jesus wants you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive you so that your sins are gone. Can he? Yes. Does he want to? Yes, he does. You might think my sin is so bad he won't want to forgive me. The reason God became a man here is to do it. The reason that Jesus walked in Capernaum is to forgive your sins. The reason we have these words that God has given us, the reason why this paralyzed man was healed was so that we would know, yes, I want to forgive your sins. The reason for the cross and Jesus rising from the dead is the absolutely final evidence that he wants to deal with your sin and mine. Not rising from paralysis, but rising from death. A sign that sin is finally defeated of Jesus' authority and power, even over death and judgment. It's a wonderful victory, isn't it, over the devil. And so when the devil reminds you of your sin, I love this phrase, remind him of his future. When the devil reminds you of your sin, you remind him of his future. No, Jesus has conquered you, mate. he's risen from the dead, I'm free. Get gone. And that means there's no more need to be in denial or secrecy because he has dealt with it. There's no need to worry about my sin is too much or too great because he has ultimate power and authority to deal with it. 
There can be nothing greater or bigger than God. Uh, there's no more self-loathing that I'm stuck in this mess because he will deal with it by his great love for you as he dies on the cross. There's no more dep depression about the future of my character or my fate when I die because Jesus has dealt with it. He has authority and power to do that. And so the question for us from this passage is, do you believe that Jesus has authority and power to forgive your sin? Do you believe that? Maybe it might be the first time today you're thinking, yes, I do. You just say, yes, Lord, thank you, you've forgiven my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. Please help me to live for you. Maybe you've prayed that a long time ago. The opportunity for you, if you're a Christian here today, is to look at your sin head on. Not have it hidden in your house. Get it out and look at it and confess it and know that it is gone. Do you do that in your home groups? Do you do that when you get your Bible out in the morning? Or do you tiptoe around the things that you'd rather not think about? Do you put your sin before God in prayer to help him deal with it in Jesus? You know, when we sin, there comes moments, don't we, where we, we, we make mistakes, we get things wrong, and we think, ah, oh, that is awful. Do you, in that moment, rip the roof off the house to get to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, thank you, you've dealt with me? Or do you put the lid on the box and tuck it away? Because one displays total faith in Jesus' authority to forgive sins, and the other one is me trying to deal with it. Do you see that? And here's the vision for what it means for us. The last verse. Did you see that? He gets up, he takes his mat, and he walks out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God. And then they were saying to one another, we have never seen anything like this. And then, of course, verse 5. The faith is still there, isn't it? But it's now in Jesus' authority to forgive sin. So our response to this is we're amazed instead of being worried or in denial. We're amazed that God would come and do this for us. And so we want to praise God instead of loathing ourselves and what, what we've become and what we're becoming. We want to be open in talking to one another about this amazing person. I don't know, maybe coffee time afterwards or in your home groups where you, you just talk, isn't it great that Jesus has got this power and authority and say, even though the stuff I've done is terrible, I'm forgiven. But most of all, we want to have faith. Faith for the future, faith in Jesus for the future. We can always be hopeful about our character and about where we go when we die. Because we know that the biggest problem has been dealt with by the person, the only person, who has the power and authority to forgive it. And that means, like in the song, there's no guilt in life, there's no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. No guilt in life, no fear in death. Come and be shameless, is what Jesus says. Be without shame. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this. We must never look at any sin in our past life in any way except that which leads us to praise God and magnify his, Christ, his, his grace in Christ Jesus. It's right to feel guilt about our sin, but if we stay there, we're not having faith in Christ's authority and power to forgive our sin. We need to put that guilt, give it to Jesus, and then we move through to what Martin Lloyd-Jones has said there, isn't it? It leads us to praise God and magnify his grace in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray that we would do that together? Let's pray.
loving Heavenly Father, we are humbled deeply by your desire to come to us in person and to show us so clearly that you have the power and authority on earth to forgive sins. Lord, who else will we go to? Who else has these words of life? Who else would want to forgive us, your, your people, your sinners? And so we praise you and glorify you. We're amazed. Help us, Lord, to love talking about that with one another and with those who need to know so much about how to put down their burdens. And yet we can introduce them to you. Lord, most of all, help us to have faith when we do get it wrong, when we reflect on our past, to come to you confident that you are the God who forgives sins. Amen.